Welcome to episode number 11 of the Thor's Hermes podcast, issued on October 4, 2017. My name is Rudolf and I am your host. Thor's Hermes presents to you extensive interviews with important people from the world of the Western esoteric tradition. Next to this, we also present news from that same world book reviews and some music. You should also go on our website www.thoshermes.com that is T-H-O-T-H-E-R-M-E-S dot com and have not only a look at all the articles, previous episodes, etc. but also on the arts page where you can find our featured artist and his or her work. You can find Thoth Hermes on the mentioned website, but it can also be downloaded via Apple Podcasts, Blueberry, Spreaker, Stitcher, Android, and an ever-increasing number of podcast services who have added us to their playlists. It has been a month since I issued our last episode here, and I am really sorry about that. For those who have followed me regularly, they have probably read on Twitter or Facebook the reasons for that. Technical problems first, but then mainly some health problems have kept me away from preparing this edition. Nothing serious, but I just felt terribly low energy. Now, slowly is all returning back to normal, and you can expect Thoth Hermes going back to its regular bi-weekly rhythm. Apologies again, but many thanks for your patience and fidelity, and special thanks go to those who have inquired and written to me. This was really nice and made me feel that you guys are waiting for an upcoming episode but that you also care about the presenter and host. Thanks a lot. Talking about listeners, in spite of the forced break, downloads have crossed the 10,000 mark and I am very happy about that. Thought Hermes slowly gets established and it looks like there are people out there really interested in what they can hear about in those interviews and other features of our show. I try to do my best to keep the level up. 
In our next episode, now due on October 19, I will also talk to you a bit about upcoming changes and improvements in Thoughts Hermes podcast. So if you're interested on what will be happening, come back when I will launch episode number 12. And also already now, I want to let you know that on October 31st, I will do a special Samhain Halloween edition for you. It will be in a bit of different format from what you are used to and I hope it will be fun. If any one of you has something to contribute or share, music, text, ideas, do send it to me. I'll be happy to make good use of it. How to get in touch? Here are the possibilities. Either you go on the website www.saucehermes.com There you can send me voicemails through SpeakPipe or you go on the contact page and send a message straight from there. You can also reach me via Twitter or Facebook. And then of course there is good old email. Info at saucehermes.com And please mind the spelling. There is also one very special kind of feedback which I found on Facebook where some users were discussing the occult podcasts they liked. And then one of them, I don't give away his name here, writes, Oh, and I forget Gnothy. Well, that's my Facebook name, so he means me. He is great too. And that voice, lol. He could read a grocery list and make it sound good. Ah, oh, thank you. That goes down well. Aren't we all some narcissists? But no, honestly, thanks for this. I like that a lot. So much for the introduction to this episode. Time to get into it. After our featured guest of today, I will also bring a couple of news. No book reviews, though. They will be back on your next episode later this month. No worries. Our interview guest today is one of those personalities who have accompanied me for many years in my personal path. And I'm sure I am by far not the only one. His podcast, The Hermetic Hour, was, together with that one of my friend Greg, or Cult of Personality, the one I was waiting for the next edition myself all the time. And then there are his books and videos, all full of knowledge and excitement. You probably already know who I'm talking about. It is the great Poke Runyon, also known as Frater Thabion. You will be able to get new insights into his life and his work in a few moments. But before we start, let's play a piece of music. Today I have decided to play three pieces from three different artists who all have already appeared on previous episodes and for all three of them I've had a lot of positive feedback and inquiries. So I thought, why not bring them back on with new pieces, of course. At first we will hear another piece by the wonderful German medieval folk rock band Corvus Corax. This time round it will be an instrumental number 
called Bukka. It appeared already 17 years ago in 2000 on their album Mille Anni Passi Sunt, Thousand Years Have Passed. Corvus Corax, Bukka. Enjoy.
Corvus Corax from Germany, performing their instrumental piece, Bocca. Here comes the interview. It was a great pleasure and to me also an honor to talk at length to Carol Pogronian, one of the great figures in today's world of the esoteric and the occult. Author, filmmaker, occultist, Freemason, teacher, high priest, what else could you call him? Born in 1935, he is as active as ever. One of his ventures is his ongoing podcast, The Hermetic Hour on Block Talk Radio, which is a classic in its genre. Carol, or Poke as he is mostly called, is also known as Frater Thabion, creator and magister of the OTA, Ordo Templi Astartes. In the first part of our talk, he will speak about his early life and short career in the army, and about the health crisis that brought him on the way to occult knowledge. We will talk about the Krata Repoa and its influence on Pope's Ordo Templi Astartes, about the Golden Dawn, Solomonic magic and Freemasonry. Plenty to discuss and discover, as you would imagine. As always, this interview is split in two parts. After about 35 minutes, we will take a musical break. Pogue Runyon or Frater Tabion, it's a great, great pleasure and a great honor for me as well to have you here on Thoth Hermes podcast. Welcome and thank you for accepting to talk to us today. My first question, Pogue, would be where you come from. Actually, I know from your biography, I think you were born in 1935. You had a past life, a previous life, so to speak, in the military and then as a writer and in different other capacities. And then I read you had a visionary experience. But maybe you can take us through from where you come and what led you to that experience and what happened there. Okay, uh, that's that's a good question. I was raised in a in a in a cultured family, and and, uh, and my mother was a was an English teacher, and my father was an attorney, and uh, I was raised on American and European folklore. You know, all of the European fairy tales and, and uh, Hans Christian Andersen and, and, uh, and the Grimm brothers and, and all of the European uh, folklore, including, the you know, Mallory's King Arthur and, and, and all of that. And the American folklore, the Oz books, you know, that's the American, American fairy tales. And I went from that when I grew up. I graduated from, uh, from all this uh, folklore and mythology and whatever into... Edgar Rice Burroughs and and uh, you know the Tarzan books and and the Mars books and and then I went from that into uh, science fiction and reading uh, these old pulp magazines and I was really uh, really.
really fascinated with the Shaver mystery, and that's perhaps my introduction to the occult was Richard Shaver and his um, and his uh, stories, which he claimed were all based on fact, right. you know, and and and, uh, and so, but and that got me inter- introduced to the to to at least his version of the occult. From that, you know, I I'd always wanted when I was when I was uh, uh, a teenager, I. I, I, I always wanted to be a, an adventure story writer. That's what I really wanted to be. Okay. And and I and I had the good fortune of having a mentor who became eventually became the the uh, fantasy editor for Ballantine Books, and that was Lynn Carter. He he lived in in St. Pete, where Florida, where I was born and grew up. And Lynn sort of mentored me in my early writing efforts when I was in high school. And and I kept in touch with Lynn, you know, um, all the way through, all the way up into the 1980s. You know, I uh, I didn't start really seriously writing until after I had uh, gotten out of the army, and of course I went back to school and 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 got my finally got got my my first uh, college degree after the army, not before. Uh, and in the army. Uh, I continued this romantic, this romantic thing in the army by, by, um, by getting in in special forces when it was just getting started. Mm-hmm. Special forces was just just getting started nineteen fifty back in nineteen fifty seven, and uh, and I didn't know about it, so I wanted to join the Marines. But my dad and my uncle, they were all army. You know, I was an army family, <laughs> and my dad said no, and he says no, no. Uh, son of mine is ever going to join the Marines. You go down there and ask the Army recruiter for something for something exciting, and I'm sure the Army has something. And we must have had a sense that they did because I went down and you know to the Army recruiter and <laughs> I told the guy I said I want something tough and exciting, <laughs> and 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 what have you got that's tough and exciting? And and he looked at me like I was crazy. And here is this this 19 year old kid, you know, and I said, <laughs> give me something tough and exciting. And he's uh, so he pulls out this little brochure, you know, on special forces, showing this guy rappelling down a mountainside with a huge rucksack on, and mm-hmm. and he and he hands this over to me, and he says, "Is this exciting enough for you?" And I said, "Yeah, I'll take it." <laughs> so so I took three years of it, and and I loved it. I had I had more fun uh, in special forces. It was it was sort of like a super duper Boy Scouts, and and uh, we had these old guys left over from. World War II and the OSS, you know, that uh, they were our instructors, and oh, boy, did I ever have fun. That that was one of the most enjoyable times of my life was, was uh, and, and well, it was between the wars, though. Uh, that was after Korea and before Vietnam, so uh, I missed both the wars, but I sure had a lot of fun jumping out of airplanes and running around in the swamp and climbing the mountains and all that. And that. Yeah. And, and, uh, and, and then I got out of, uh, you Got out of the army, went to OCS, and 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 uh, did a little, went a little while as a as a company officer, and then I got out of the army, went back to college, got my my uh, bachelor's degree, and and uh, and then I started writing, you know, which is what I'd always wanted to do, and and I wrote uh, I wrote some special forces type thrillers, kind of somewhere between uh, you know between uh, James Bond and and uh, and 
well, you know, they they, they were uh, first. The first one was called Night Jump Cuba, and then then the sequel was called Commando X, and they were both anti-Castro uh, thrillers. And uh, so then decided to go out and and, uh, and and see if I couldn't be a screenwriter because there was a lot more money in that than writing pulp, you know, writing uh, paperback fiction. So sure. I went, you know, I, I I left for California and got into the into the screenwriting business and and uh, didn't last in that very long. I had some bad experiences and and uh, so then I went and then I went into industry. I had a degree in in uh, in art in commercial art. So I went into industry as an industrial artist and 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 did quite well. Then I got very very sick. Okay. And uh, this was a result. I told one of my one of my one of my black members. You know, I said, you know, soul food made me what I am today because I came from the South and we all ate we all ate uh, you know this 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 what they call soul food. Yeah. And and one of the main uh, staples of of uh, Southern cooking was bacon grease. <laughs> and my mother and and my black mammy and my mother they all cooked in bacon grease every time. <laughs> and, and so my gallbladder atrophied. <laughs> and I didn't realize this because I thought bacon grease was fine, you know, and I kept using it. And I didn't realize that, 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 that this had turned my gallbladder into solid rock. <laughs> and and uh, so I got terribly sick. <laughs> and it's um, one of the reasons why I left the, the movie industry because I got sick in the middle of a screenplay that, uh, that 20th Century Fox had wanted to take an option on. And, and I got so sick that I couldn't uh, finish it. And I tried to hypnotize myself right. to thinking this thing was an ulcer. And, you know, I thought ulcers were psychosomatic. And I don't know, I tried to hypnotize myself. Well, what I succeeded in doing, I didn't succeed in, in hypnotizing, in dissolving the rock and the gallbladder. That, that The hypnosis wouldn't do that. Sure. But it sure turned me into a mystic. God, I was reading, by the time I got really into it, I was reading Carl Jung, and I was reading Tibetan books on Tibetan Buddhism, and and reading books on voodoo. And I was, I was just really, you know, going at it. And I'd always had an interest in magic and and and, uh, and, and you know in, in the occult from the standpoint of a of an adventure story writer and a romantic and so I kept working on this and 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 then one of my former uh, special forces team uh, members uh, came out to California and uh, moved in right next door to me. And you know, he was one of my sergeants. I was the captain of the team, and and uh, you know, sort of like uh, Hannibal, you know, in the A team. I and this, and he moved in right next door to me, and he gave me a copy of Richard Cavendish's Black Arts for my birthday. Okay. And oh boy, when I got that, that then I then I realized, you know, uh, then that this this is this is my path, you know. I I need to be a Western magician. That's still a good book, by the way, Richard Cavendish's, yeah. and it's still they they keep it in print. It's uh, called the Black Arts. It's you know a sort of a sinister title, but it's a, it's it's a very good wrap up on hermetic magic. Right, and that was in the mid '60s, right? 
Yeah, yeah. And and uh, so I, in the process of all of this, I discovered before I found out that the gallbladder was the problem and not, not an ulcer, <laughs> I discovered the way to conjure spirits to visible appearance. And I have since we've established that this really was the way that, that a lot of magicians actually did it, although there's people that, that insist that, that, that this wasn't it. There's still people that don't believe it. But uh, the, real, the real way to do it, to conjure the visible appearance, is based on your on your own reflection on a dark mirror. Mm-hmm. Uh, your own reflection. Uh, if you stare at it in dim light and 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 and, and uh, with candle holding candles, uh, your face is going to black out, and then and then another uh, uh, face will appear, and that's the spirit. Right. Now. This was originally used in India for previous incarnations. It was used in West Africa for uh, for ancestors, but that's all in Malkuth. That's fine if you and you can use it for previous incarnations and ancestors if you operate in Malkuth. But as soon as you operate in Yasad. Uh, which is the lunar sphere, you're into the spirit realm. And, and as, as uh, an old man Crowley said, the spirits of the Goetia are portions of the human brain. Well, he should have said they're portions of the human mind. But Crowley wasn't into Jung. He was more into Freud. Yes. And, and so he didn't differentiate between the brain and the mind. Well, and we, uh, as we know, the brain the brain's, uh, is, is an organ, and the mind is software. And and uh, so Crowley should have said they are they are aspects of the human mind, and that that's but that that's in a sense that's what he meant, mm-hmm. and I ran with that and I realized my gosh that's it you're you, you we've all got these, uh, and since then you know even my one of my one of my friends and 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 sometimes mentor Lon Duquette said you know it's all in your head but you have no idea how big your head is well boy. Uh, is true and and uh, so what this did was it gave us in the OTA and and because of this one thing and I you know I realized and I realized that after this I realized that the, the, you know I found out that finally got diagnosed when I was almost dead that uh, from inflammation that this gall that this what I thought was an ulcer was actually an atrophied gallbladder so I had surgery and they opened me up and they took they took out a lump of rocks as big as my fist and had they had to chop it apart with a chisel. So I took all these little gallbladder stones and I and, and they chopped apart with a chisel and I shellacked them and I've got them in a little velvet bag. So, <laughs> so <laughs> you know, sort of, sort of like a medieval relic, and and uh, keep them to remind me of, of you know what happened. What happened? But sure. but after I recovered. You know, after I recovered, I, I you know, I kind of realized, you know, hey, you were you were nuts, boy. This was a toxic. This was toxic insanity. You were crazy, and I, I knew I was, and, and and it was a period of madness while I was suffering from all of this and trying with with hypnosis to cure it. Um, so I, I, I and and I recovered and I and and I felt a lot saner and healthier, of course, and 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 then I I, I wonder, but then I then I said, I wonder if this 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 thing that I discovered will work, 
And sure enough, it did. It did. And it yeah. worked even when I was, you know, recovered my my sanity and, and, and all that. I could still do it. And so, uh, and, you know, and I was still fascinated with magic. And so I, I decided even, you know, I said, okay, well, maybe I ought to start an organization, a group, and, and, and teach this. Yeah. And... Uh, so that's when I decided to found the OTA. Yeah. And at that time, the witchcraft movement was really going strong in this country. And and uh, whether I don't know where you're at, in, in there are some gardenerians in in uh, you know in Germany and Austria. And I yeah. know a few of them. Yeah. Yeah. Well. Gardenerianism was uh, was was the thing, uh, and um, and so I realized that, that that one of the big problems with with the Western ceremonial magic was all patriarchal. It it did not uh, you know it didn't uh, emphasize the feminine, mm-hmm. and even though the Golden Dawn had you know taken taken women and 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 as well they should, and and in fact. <laughs> Uh, I also realized that without without women in the organization, you don't have that that dynamic that you need to get magic going. Mm-hmm. So so we be when I when I got started, I I wanted to emphasize the uh, the, the, the feminine on equal with the uh, the male component. And so we called it the Order of the Temple of Astarte. Astarte and Baal were the two so-called demons that that we that I first uh, brought to visible appearance and got in touch with. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, if I kind of joke sometimes, I say, "Well, yeah, I'm, I'm possessed by demons, all right. I got uh, Baal and Astarte got me to got me to actually revive their religion." <laughs> so uh, so maybe I am, but the, but which which is what I did because we eventually. I, I researched the, the ancient Canaanite documents and created the uh, seasonal ceremony cycle. We've been performing those seasonal ceremonies. We started in 74, and we haven't missed one uh, since 1974. We've done them four times a year, and we haven't missed one yet. The Order of Astarte, the OTA, you founded it in what year? In 19... 19- 70 and we actually and we actually incorporated the Church of the Hermetic Sciences to sponsor uh, the order in 1971. Okay. But we, we but we were initiating in 1970. Right. Okay. And and initiating and training and uh, and we've been working you know and working working our way up ever since. Eventually, CHS also sponsored a, uh, a Golden Dawn Temple, mm-hmm. and because uh, I knew Rigardi, and I had—I uh, won't say I was a student of Rigardi's because uh, Rigardi at the time was very much into Crowley, and he was trying to yes. get me in. They were trying to reform the OTO. He and this and his friend Grady McMurtry, mm-hmm. and. Uh, and uh, I didn't. I just really did not want to get in. in I, I was getting disenchanted with Crowley when I first got started. I, I, I was really pro Crowley. Yeah. But as the, but the more I got to meet these people, these these Thelemites, and the more I got to study about what what their their problems and the scandals they had and all of this, but the, the the less and the less the less and less I I was thinking about Thelema. I I I, I got. I, it was the time of the. Caliphate, wasn't it? 
Oh yeah. Well, yeah. yeah I told uh, I told Grady McMurtry that I that I thought that the, that the book of the law ought to be kept very, very, very private. And the way Crowley mm-hmm. said it should be when he first received it. He said that we, that, that that this should not be uh, talked about or, or or you know to keep it keep it a private sort of like a personal a personal declaration of personal freedom for to be kept to be kept to yourself yes and 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 and, and, I, and I said in that case perhaps I could accept it perhaps I could but 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 we can't we can't be waving this thing around and 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 try you know in public and all of that and, and of course that's what they wanted to do yeah. and that's what they did do yes. and Grady you know snarled at me and he said the law is for all you know and and, and I said well uh, unfortunately I don't think I'm going to go along with that and so uh, that was part of the and, and then we had some members that were uh, very much into Crowley and and uh, they they're no longer with us <laughs> anyway uh you know so so uh i became very fascinated with the hermetic tradition you know with, with yes. the with, with the uh the hermetic tradition and and we got started with the with the old Craterapoa system yes uh and uh, when we first got started, we got the French. We, we we started with the French version, which is Paul Christian's History and Practice of Magic. That's the French version of the of Craterapoa, mm-hmm. and uh, and then we discovered, uh, you know, that it, had, it actually had seven degrees. What Chris, Paul Christian had done is he'd rolled up all the seven degrees of Craterapoa into one one degree, and that became our our big initiation, our OTA initiation. So now you know, we we soon discovered that uh, you know there were seven degrees to this system so we began to flesh it out and through the years we we now 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 we we practice and uh, you know all of the all of the degrees uh and we have an inner order and and uh it does celestial magic and 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 of course uh as as you know we we developed the hermetic yoga system yes and that's based on Rigardi's middle pillar our, uh, our uh, listeners a bit about the crater ripua a bit more because i know not so many people which who are not in your church do know enough about it can you just give a few hints on what it exactly is the crater ripua is was a and it, it's it's basically German and probably to some degree Austrian. Uh, it was it was uh, an attempt by by German Masonic scholars mm-hmm. in in, uh, in in the middle in in the mid 1700s. These people decided to try to see to, on a Masonic model. They 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 they. To try to recreate an, uh, a first-century Alexandrian type initiation, okay, uh, program, and they researched it as much as they could. They got, you know, they got uh, uh, a lot of uh, a lot of Plato and Prophery and and and, uh, and uh, Herodotus and you know and everything they could get, everything they could find out about Alexandrian initiations in the Hermetic tradition, mm-hmm. and. And they put this system together, and well, they're very dramatic. Now, one of the great things about the Craterapoa is it's dramatic. You compare it to Golden Dawn initiations, Craterapoa initiations are much more exciting. Mm-hmm. 
and and they're they're much more uh, dynamic Impressive. and and uh, and so they they got all this together this was right about the same time that, that the Illuminati and, and strict observance were were on the scene. Oh, right. And, pe- and people were more interested, you know, they they were more interested in the Illuminati and strict observance. And, we, and of course, the, Illumina- the strict observance eventually overcame the Illuminati, as you yeah. probably know. Yeah. And, and uh, but the um, uh, Crowder of Poa, they couldn't, they just couldn't get it going, so they published it in in a, in a in a booklet. They published all their their seven degree outline, and they published in several editions. And uh, we we finally published the earliest edition available in the, in our seventh ray journal, the the, the, the green ray. Or uh, you could, if you want to, if you want to read it. I mean, uh, you know that that the, that's the one that's in the Amsterdam Hermetic Museum. Right. And one of our guys in in, in Amsterdam uh, went in there and and copied the whole thing in German. You know, he copied the whole script in in German because uh, they wouldn't. It, it, the the, the, is, the the old pamphlet is so fragile that that it, you have to you know it, it's it's a white glove spatula operation right. and you can't it, they didn't even want it photographed they that, that's they, in the uh, Richmond they, Library they, I guess right yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. right mm-hmm. and. Uh, Peter Trump went on in there, and, and, and in fact, he eventually published a book on it, which is probably you can, uh, and, and it's in Dutch, uh, but okay. uh, it's called Craterapoa, mm-hmm. and it's, it's by Peter Trump. So, and we published we published our English uh, translation of it in, uh, in in the third in in the in the seventh ray, uh, our journal. But anyway, Craterapoa, the Illuminati. The Illuminati uh, kind of liked it, and they they ran off with the with some stuff in the fourth degree and and the, the Chista Forest degree, and uh, now the Illuminati is getting going again. And so I I told him I said, look, if you guys are going to steal our fourth degree, we want your owl. Give us your owl. <laughs> and they said, all right, you can have you, you you can have our owl. So we're now entitled to 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 the Illuminati owl because they they uh, pirated our fourth degree. <laughs> <laughs> Good Everybody, by the way, Rudolph. Everybody has 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 looted the Craterapoa. Everybody yeah. has. Uh, I mean, uh, John Yarker looted it big time for his uh, for his MMM. You know, uh, his yeah. uh, uh, thing, and he had his sixty. And everybody's looted it. Amarks looted it. You know, it's it's been looted. Uh, but but we do the whole. We do the we we do the whole thing. We changed a lot. Uh, uh, we we've uh, we've changed and rearranged a lot, uh, but but uh, but we use all seven degrees on it. Anyway, uh, that's uh, that's the cross right there. So as I say, we we uh, we our our little golden dawn temple. We 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 started off from the bottom up. Mm-hmm. We had the cipher manuscript. We had Regardi's version of the cipher manuscript, of course, which I eventually uh, uh, did a did a book on. Yeah. Uh, and and it's the best, by the way. That's the best cipher manuscript book the one that we did is the best one because 
there are other publications that, that have the cipher manuscript, but they don't have anything about it. They don't mm-hmm. tell you. They just they just publish the, the, the text. They yeah. publish a translation of it, mm-hmm. and that's it. You know, mm-hmm. and we're the ones that actually analyze it. And so, uh, and if people are interested in the cipher manuscript, the Golden Dawn, then, then then they need to get our book, which is called Secrets of the Golden Dawn Cipher Manuscript. Yeah. And uh, every time I hear you in in your podcast, I always am amazed about the the plentiness and fullness of information and knowledge that you have and it's not different today when we speak so i before we go to hermetic yoga i have two other questions for you one of the central um, rituals or the central uh, uh, tools that you are using if i'm not wrong is salmonic magic especially at the beginning of your past there and why did you go with that it's very particular and it's not everyone who does it like that why did you choose Solomonic magic as your initial path well i think the reason the answer for that is is that in 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 uh, um We'll blame Richard. We'll blame Richard Cavendish for that, because he emphasized he emphasized Solomonic magic in the Black Arts, mm-hmm. and he's the one who said, who who said that that Baal and Astaroth in the Lamegaton in the Goetia of the Lamegaton were actually Baal and Astarte. Yes, he's the first one who said that, mm-hmm. and and they were, and and. Uh, And that, of course, you know, uh, and you start when you start going from there, and you start looking at at Faust bringing up a Starte, and 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 Byron bringing up a Starte, and mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and this is what magicians uh, magicians have been doing. They've been finding the goddess in 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 in, in the demons, and mm-hmm. and finding the, the you know the original god. Now, by the way, uh, Baal and Astarte evolve and we do this through the crater of Poa, and we do we do it uh, we follow the Nicene document of Hippolytus and and uh, we we evolve Balanastarte all the way up to Jesus and Mary Magdalene okay in the in the inner order in our Rosicrucian order mm-hmm. and the inner inner order uh, Balanastarte become they actually transform into uh, in, into Jesus and Mary Magdalene right and that follows the They see in document right, uh, you know, right along the line, uh, and the key to that is is a book called "From Ritual to Romance" by an by a British anthropologist lady, Jessie Weston, nineteen twenty. She's the one who first revealed that uh, that the Holy Grail was actually uh, that river up in Lebanon, which flows out of this out of this waterfall up at the, up way up in the mountains where they had the temple of Astarte and it and the river goes all the way down to the Mediterranean and in the spring it hits a hematite layer and it turns red okay. and that's the blood of the dying god mm-hmm. and uh, and she realized yeah, she realized that was the that was the beginning of the holy grail Right, and that that uh, that I, I I got that bit in my teeth and ran with it. And I mean, and you know, and it, 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 it and the old, the ancient Canaanite legends uh, confirm it. That that's interesting. Yeah. I didn't know that at all. Yeah. Okay. Right. And the other question I had for you, just a little side path. 
I believe you have also a, a Freemasons background at some point, as I do. Um, so I wonder how you, when that happened, did it happen before the Order of Astarte or after? And how do you link that today, if you still do, to your other work? After. After. Afterward, I, I started. I started uh, uh, the, the OTA and, and CHS in 1970-1971. Mm -hmm. Kept practicing, kept researching, kept uh, you know. Eventually, and, I, and you know, went back to back to school uh, on what was left of my GI Bill. I went back to school and, and got a master's degree in cultural anthropology, which which helped a lot, and in the research end of things, one thing or another. Anyway. Uh, well, see, I realized, I realized while I was doing all this, how much, how important masonry was to the Western tradition. Yeah. And in fact, uh, as we have said, uh, and, and we'll get into when we get into the uh, yoga uh, question, mm -hmm. that, that made magic today, today, Yes. Magic is is operates in both in Europe and in the United States and England. Magic operates on a Masonic base. It yes. operates out of a Masonic base. It's 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 and the Craterapoa is 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 a Masonic production. And, and you know, so masonry is kind of the is kind of the matrix that we that, that we're in today. Uh -huh. And uh, this is one of the reasons why Solomonic, why why, I, why Solomonic magic is important because Solomon's so important in masonry. So yes. anyway, I you know in the seventies and I was developing the OTA and first started publishing our journal and everything, and uh, I knew that I had two things I had to do after I got my master's degree and I got that in 1980 but then I had to, I had to 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 uh master Tibetan Buddhism which I which I well at least I I I I got about eight Tibetan initiations including Kala Chakra and then and, and 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 practiced Vajrayogini for quite a while so so I got my Tibetan uh with with real Tibetans by the way not not uh you know not mm. not Ursats and uh, so I got that taken care of, but then I knew I had to do masonry. Yeah. And uh, so in 1981, I I got uh, entered, passed, and raised in, in masonry, and then I went on into into Scottish Rite yes. uh, at the big cathedral we used to have in Los Angeles. Don't have it anymore. But mm -hmm. uh, and I did all the degrees, and, and I did York. I did York Rite too. I, I uh, they made me. In York, right? They 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 came out and, and and stuck a paper under my under my nose and and said you know you you have to sign this and and I have to I have to agree to support uh, the Christian religion yes. or defend the Christian religion. So I put down I, I I put down as I define it and signed it and they looked at that and and the, and they you know kind of kind of uh, kind of gave me a dirty look but then they said oh well all right. <laughs> so, so I got to do York right, and so I, I'm, a, I'm, a, and I got to be a Knight Templar, and then I got, did it. But Scottish Rite was my main, my, my main um, uh, interest. Yeah, and I understand I, that. Uh, yes. <laughs> and right now, right now, I'm a Knight Commander of the Court of Honor in Scottish Rite, which mm -hmm. is. 
That's nice. Yeah. Which is the middle. That 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 that's that the middle. Yeah. You start off. You start off thirty thirty uh, second with a black hat, and then you get a red hat, and mm. then then after that you get a white hat. And I'm gonna. I don't have a white hat yet, but you know, uh, but I'm still working on it. <laughs> and and uh, uh, the uh, masonry, as I said, masonry is the base. It's the base from which magic works today, and it was the base for the Golden Dawn. Yes, and uh, and it's one of the reasons why the, why Solomonic magic we still maintain uh, our Solomonic magic capability, and uh, and it also masonry justifies the uh, justifies the use of the Canaanite uh, god forms because they they Solomon in Solomon's time that's what they uh, that's what they 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 worshipped and what they used in magic. They, I, it's interesting. I was curious to know if you started with masonry and then uh, came to magic because that's o often also the case. It's often masonry works like a filter to uh, people who are then interested in going further. In your case, you took it as the base and took it on later on. And I find that a very interesting approach and I couldn't agree more than that this is the case. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, well, I've... Uh You know, I occasionally I get criticized for taking for 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 taking people out of masonry, but actually I've taken more people into masonry than I've ever taken out of it. <laughs> and that, you know, because a lot of my a lot of my students, you know, as soon as they find out how how important masonry is in all of this, they want to become masons. Yeah, sure, sure. What an ebullient well of wisdom and stories he is, Carol Poke Runyon. And I very much appreciate his humor, his contaminous laughter and good spirit. So do stay tuned for part two of this interview. But before we return to Poke, we are going to listen to our Wendy rule. I say our because Wendy was the featured musician on Thoth Hermes' very first episode almost half a year back. And of course, she is the author and interpreter of both the intro and outro songs, which she graciously allows me to use. I'm very grateful for that wonderful piece of music. Thanks once again, Wendy. And today, also here on repeated demands by our listeners, we are going to present yet another song by and with Wendy Rule. From her 2006 album, The Wolf's Sky, listen to The Circle Song.
Interpreting the Circle Song about elements and directions. For those of you who wonder why she is placing fire to the north and earth to the south, well, Wendy is Australian, so Southern Hemisphere. Got it? 
So if you live in the Northern Hemisphere like me, and if you want to sing the song yourself, just switch. But back to Pogue Runyon now. In the second part of our talk, we will be speaking about one of his favorite subjects and where we can also expect a second volume of his book to be released soon about hermetic yoga. Polk explains about the use of it in many different traditions, West and East. He also explains what, in spite of his often sharp criticism, he owes to Aleister Crowley. And he will also give you a book list of titles that a real adept or esoteric scholar should absolutely have on their shelves and hopefully also in their minds. Now let's go yeah. into Hermetic Yoga. Hermetic Yoga, as you said, based on the middle pillar. Uh, to me, the middle pillar ritual, as it has been described by Regardi, has always been very important personally. It helps me a lot in my work in general. So I'm very interested to hear you tell us more about Hermetic Yoga, how you started defining it and how you would define it for our listeners who have not yet heard much about it. Well, all right. Now, first, let's say this. The Golden Dawn and Paul Foster Case and and a number of people following that that system use a system of of chakras and yoga, in other words, a, a tantric system mm -hmm. that is based on on alchemy, not on the spheres of, of the tree of life. That's what they do. And, and, and the paths, and of course, you know, there's some justification if you want to look at the paths and the tarot and everything else. Uh, the, you can justify that, that, that system, but that system is influenced by and, 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 and why Woodruff's serpent power which was very, very popular back in the 1900s and all. And this is not the Western chakra system at all. Mm -hmm. This this is something, uh, in fact, it's not much older, even in the East, even uh, this, this system is not much, is not much, uh, uh, much, uh, much younger or older than about 1500 in our, in, on our calendar in, in, in the East and, and Woodruff's and, and, uh, and, you know, they, so, but it is based primarily on alchemical correspondences, not on Kabbalistic correspondences. Now, okay. uh, Regardi and, claims that Falcon had this middle pillar. That he got it from Falcon. Yes. Now I have never seen. I've read books by Falcon and whatever, but I've never seen anything uh, from Falcon justifying this or talking about this. So I don't know where where uh, where the middle pillar really originally came from. Except that it follows 
the Western Pythagorean, uh, the monochord. It, it follows the Pythagorean uh, music of the spheres. It follows Dante. It follows it follows um, uh, Gickel. It follows all of the Western, all of the Western uh, uh, and and Flood, mm-hmm. and you know Flood, Gickel, uh, Jacob Borm. All of them had this straight line chakra system right yeah. down the middle pillar right down the spine and and uh, and Steiner even went along with it which means yeah. that if Steiner went along with it Barden would have gotten into it mm-hmm. you know and if Barden had lived he probably would have done he probably would have done very similar to what Fred Adams and I did okay. and Fred Adams and I you know went with the went with the western system and we developed and you know, I I think when I I, I say that I had this uh, walking across the the campus in Northridge, and all of a sudden it hit me like a like a flash in 1975. But but doggone it, we were painting. We were painting the chakras uh, on 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 our priestesses in in glow paint mm-hmm. back way back when we first got started. Okay. And we must have known. We must have known then, you know, with that, uh, intuitively, you know, when you when you when you look through the when you when the veil opens, there's this there's this beautiful woman standing there with, the, you know, with the chakras all painted on her, mm-hmm. and. Uh, yeah, and that's uh, and and so we must have known, uh, and 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 it, yeah, I guess it grew from there. But I had this, uh, I'd been taking a Kabbalah class with uh, at Northridge where I where I was getting working on my master's degree, and I was walking across the campus, and all of a sudden, you know, boom, you know, almost it, like the lightning flash hit me, <laughs> and I realized that the lightning flash was the key. The lightning flash, and, and and by the way, the lightning flash. The Golden Dawn gets the lightning flash from Jacob Borm. Right, that's where it comes from, and and uh, so then and literally that the lightning flash uh, or the flaming sword is the key to the straight line uh, psychic center system, and and uh, so we went on. We we and and and. I don't know whether I don't know whether Fred Adams figured this out first or I did, but we both started working on it about the same time. Yeah, and uh, and and I've got Fred's and I and in the and in, in the uh, yoga book, uh, the first volume I have I have Fred's um, um, Fred's straight line system tree. Right, and uh, but anyway. We eventually developed an eleven sphere tree, not the not the one the Golden Dawn uses, but uh, we we developed an, 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 our own eleven sphere tree, and uh, and we've incorporated that into the system, so you can cross the abyss and and, and still have um, and 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 you cross the abyss and still and still uh, work the work the spheres uh, yes. above the abyss, and. Uh, so somebody might say, "Well, yeah, you want to work the uh, work the spheres above the abyss. What are you going to do for Kameas? Well, we got that problem solved too, and <laughs> and uh, you know we we got Kameas for the outer planets, and you know and and, and for the outer spheres. And so we we've uh, we've got this pre win, and we've got uh, you know a couple more paths, and so we got new tarot cards, and we have all that, and that's all in the second uh, new seventh ray for those of you who want to get it. Okay, uh, we got a problem, of course. Uh, you guys, you guys can't get Amazon to send you books. 
No, yeah, uh, over yeah, here in yeah. Europe, yes. But you know, yeah, two thirds of my audience here is American, so at least they they can. <laughs> well, you know, I uh, uh, you know uh, Jeff Bezos is a globalist. I don't I don't know why they haven't figured this out yet. Why they can't get their books out? You know, why they get the, can't their book get their books out all yeah, over the place? Interesting. Uh, But you know, it's not just yours. There are many really good books on magic, like Frat Ash and Shazan and people like that, whose books are not available here in Europe. And I fight uh, almost every day to make things available on this side of the big pond because it's really a pity. Well, one of my one of my uh, key articles, magic and hypnosis, uh, the, when I got started off, because that's one of the things I discovered that uh, that uh, that a lot of people fought against and mm -hmm. still do. And I, I wrote it an article, published it, and Llewellyn published it in their Gnostica called Magic and Hypnosis, mm -hmm. and that is floating around in a German translation. But okay. and, and, and well, you well you can get it, you can find it on on our you know on the web in an English translation. But if you, but there is a German translation of it. I don't know uh, whether it's still available or not. But yeah. uh, I am that, very yes. interested mm -hmm. in getting more people, uh, other traditions and other other systems, to get to make use of this straight line system of ours. Uh, you know, this is why I published the book. We this thing for you know was we this was one of our secrets for years. This this yoga system, and and I thought no 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 this is something we all need to we we, we I need to share I mean we need to we need to share this and and get other people working on it yeah. and and uh, and because you could use this system for any any mythology now Fred has his has his Greek version and I've got that published and and but you could have an Egyptian version for the Golden Dawn although oh god the 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 uh, the, the the gods that they selected for god forms in the neophyte in initi initiation are not <laughs> the ones I would put on yeah. on uh, on the uh, on the psychic centers uh, yeah. you know I, I I wouldn't I I, I struggled for a while I I tried to do that because that's you know uh, you got to everything in in the golden dawn uh, inner order and outer order it's all in the neophyte initiation yes. that's the whole golden dawn is is in that neophyte initiation mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and uh, and uh, you know so I still haven't figured out and you know, what what kind of Egyptian god forms they that, that would be that would be nice for and maybe they would use their their special ones their Coptic the Coptic ones that they've got in there maybe they could be used as alternates but yeah. but however there's the the the, the Celtic the Celtic people Uh -huh. uh, you know the, the, the 1734, the Celtic people, uh, witchcraft people, the uh, uh, and various different Wiccans. They can all they can all use this system. They can all put their gods and goddesses on, on in this in this system and make it work. Yeah, now that's amazing. Um, I have two particular questions regarding this hermetic yoga. When you say you straighten out the, the flesh, so to speak, or the sword, um, of course, what comes to mind sometimes uh, with some people I've heard that is Kundalini immediately. But Kundalini, Kundalini goes the other way. It goes from the bottom up, and this goes from the top down. So well, we'll use a dragon. You know, you know, you know. Uh, uh, on that, uh, Gickel, mm -hmm. who was a incredible prude you know 
It was exactly the opposite of of his master, Jacob Borm. Jacob Borm was like William Blake. He 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 was all for for all for women and all for sex and everything else. In fact, mm-hmm. he and then Jacob Borm is really somewhat responsible for uh, for some of the OTO sex magic ideas. <laughs> and and and, uh, and but Gickel, on the other hand, was a complete prude and a male chauvinist. But Gickel did establish the dragon down there in Malku in down there in 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 in, in Malku. He'd established the dragon as the western kundalini snake. Okay. And if you look at Gictel, if you look at Gictel's diagram, you see the dragon going up and and circling the sun. Yes. And he and Gictel even says, "Ride the dragon," you know, and and yeah. and and but but he but he his attitude was is to is is to is to control, you know, to to not to use the dragon but to conquer the dragon. Okay. Actually, uh, you know, it's it's a it, uh, we we prefer to ride the dragon, and I have a I have a nice illustration of of a, of, of the of of the spirit body riding the dragon up through the you know up from the below, mm-hmm. and uh, I'm not the only one who who's, who who uh, believes in a uh, in a western dragon and a, 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 a Kundalini uh, serpent. Oh no, uh, not, yeah. I think uh, Paul, uh, Schiller, uh, uh, Gerald Schiller. Uh, uh, he, he has an Enochian yoga book, and he had it, which is also a straight pillar, mm-hmm. and uh, and he had and he has the he he has the dragon going up too. Yeah. So, dragons dragons are are you know dragons are us. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And the other question about the abyss. You mentioned that briefly. So the passage of the abyss. How does that happen if it happens in hermetic yoga? Where does it happen or how? Well, it happens the same the same place basically. However, that does bring up an interesting point. Da'ath. Mm-hmm. And you know that that sure. hype, the so-called hypothetical sphere. Yes, the you know, sphere. It's, it's yeah. Hypothetical. Well, all the spheres are hypothetical. But anyway, Da'ath <laughs> is the Da'ath, the the sphere of knowledge. Da'ath is right there at the gateway to the abyss. Now, mm-hmm. when we created the eleven sphere tree, we moved Saturn down to Da'ath. Okay. And yeah, and there's a very good reason for that. Saturn uh, and is not has never been happy in Bina, because Bina is the eternal mother. Sure, you know, and and what the heck are you going to put old man Saturn in in uh, in Bina for? Yeah. So if you start and and, and so we 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 moved we moved uh, uh, we moved um, Saturn. Uh, Saturn down down to to and that that's perfect because Saturn's the beginning of the physical universe that that's that's you know as far out as they could see in those days the beginning of the physical universe mm-hmm. and it is the perfect place for the gateway to the abyss and uh, and, and and symbolically and every other ways now immediately somebody looks and says oh my god what is it that that means that means uh that that you can't start with kether is one two three no you can't do it yes you can because kether then becomes zero right 
Right. Yeah, Kepler yeah. becomes zero, and down yeah. we, and then, and then, uh, Hokma is one, and and uh, Mina is two. Yeah. And and then you got your nice yin yang, you know, between Hokma and Mina. So it all works out. It, it works out beautifully. Mm-hmm. And even even Ira Kaplan would have would have uh, approved of it. Uh, although I'm not <laughs> trying to say that he did, but uh, and I haven't read it by Leonora Leet yet, but <laughs> but but uh, anyway, that that's what we did and 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 that that uh that's kind of elegant actually when you get down to it but saturn then becomes the gateway to the abyss as it should it's the beginning and the end and and of course above the uh, above the abyss you're in you're in another dimension yeah so we're actually putting those outer planets uh in another dimension and uh and that that's a little bit of a you know a, a stretch on on uh, on the actual construct of the uh, of, of the solar system, but mm-hmm. but from cabalistic point of view, it, it it seems to work out. Great. Well, that book number one of Hermeti- about Hermetic Yoga has been out for a couple of years, I think. And we're just about to publish. We're just about to wrap up the second volume. That's what and, I was going to uh, ask. And yes. that will be the one with with Jesus and Mary Magdalene. Uh, okay. Evolving and 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 and, and that'll have a lot. Uh, that will be uh, well, very controversial, I'm sure. And 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 uh, but uh, it's uh, it goes right along with with the Western tradition and and follows, as I say, the Nessie document. And we're not the only ones who who uh, follow the Nessie document. Uh, John Michael Greer is very familiar with it, yes. and, uh, yes. and and some of his work, and so uh, th- this is th- this is all, uh, and really, I think uh, I think uh, I suspect uh-huh. I suspect that the Jewish Shekinah Friday night Shekinah tradition uh, kind of drives. I think they got this their idea from Valentinian Christianity, okay. and and uh, yeah, and that's that. Of course, Valentinian Christianity is also responsible originally for the for the Enochian Aether system. Yes, yeah, sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. And and uh, and Valentinian Christianity is also responsible for OTO's sex magic. Okay. The ninth, the ninth degree is 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 all comes from. Well, basically, it comes from the from the Gospel of Philip. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Having having sex with the angels in a mirrored chamber. Oh well, boy, that's yeah. the dream of many, isn't it? <laughs> uh, right. I mean, what always strikes me when I hear you speak, uh, that's A, your humor, but that's because you are like that, but also um, your openness. I mean, you talk about hermeticism, the pagan movements, Wicca, uh, and magic, and yoga, the West, the East, and you all are able to put it together. And in that respect, to me, you are a very singular person. Tell me, what inspires you to be like that, to be different from the others, to be open-minded to all those currents and integrate them into one great knowledge. What What's behind that? I think what's behind it is a desire to attain the knowledge necessary to put things together. And I think... I think even though I have, in many ways, 
criticized Aleister Crowley. I, I criticized him a lot, but the first paragraph in Magic and Theory and Practice, mm-hmm. I read the first paragraph, and and uh, and then way back in 1969, when I was crazy, I read the first paragraph, and. And when I realized I was committed to magic, I said, I am going to learn everything that this guy knows. I'm going to learn it. Mm-hmm. I mean, and, and so I think that's what, what started me off. And, and if I can put my hand on it, uh, I'm going to get up here and uh, walk over to the bookshelf and see if I can find oh, Yeah, here it is. All right, good. Yeah. Magic and Theory and Practice. And I'm going to read that first paragraph. And chapter zero, as I recall. And I think that's what started me off. And I mm-hmm. said, I'm not going to, you know, this, um, this is what I'm going to... Chapter zero. Magic and... The Magical Theory of the Universe. There are three main theorems of the universe. Dualism, monism, and nihilism. It is impossible to enter into a discussion of their relative merits in a popular manual of this sort. They may be studied in Herdman's History of Philosophy and similar treatises. All are reconciled and unified in the theory which we shall now set forth. The basis of this harmony is given in Crowley's Barasheth, to which reference should be made. Infinite space is called the goddess Nuit, while the infinitely small and atomic yet present point is called the Hadid. These are unmanifest. One conjunction of these infinities is called Rahur Kuit, a unity which includes all heads and all things. There is also a particular nature of him in certain conditions, such as have been obtained, obtained since the spring of 1904, era of vulgarity. This profoundly mystical conception is based upon actual spiritual experience, but the, but the trained reason can reach a reflection of this idea by the method of logical contradiction, which ends in a season transcending itself, and the reader should himself the soldier in the hunchback expert. Okay, well, anyway, you get the idea on that. Yeah, this guy... Uh, I, he, he throws all this stuff out, and then earlier on in, the, in his preface to the book, he said, "He said previously my work has been misunderstood, <laughs> and I have written this book for for the common man, for the for the pugilist, uh, for the grocer, for the for the for the for the working girl, mm-hmm. you know." Well, yeah, and then he starts off with chapter zero of what I just read. <laughs> yeah, and so. So I said, I read that, and I said, all right, I'm going to learn everything this guy, I'm going to, I'm going to learn everything that this guy has thrown out here. I'm going to read everything he wrote, I'm going to find out, I'm going to get to the bottom, and, and I'm going to do better. And that's, that, that was it. I, I just, you know, I, I just decided that, 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 that I'm not going to let anything in. I'm not, all of his obs, uh, obscurantism, I'm just going to... And that, once I, once I established that, then 
uh, I took the same approach to uh, to other people uh, in the magical, uh, you know, uh, mm-hmm. like Franz Barden. Yeah. When I first read, when I first read, I, I started with Barden's second volume rather than his first, okay. and because that was the one on evocation, and that's what I was doing. Yeah. And so I started with that, and I thought Barden was crazy. I, you know, when I first read that book, he said, "This guy's nuts," and and especially when I looked at the sigils on the back, and they were all automatic writing, you know. Uh, and uh, uh, but I decided the same thing with Barden. I was going to fig- I was going to understand everything Barden was saying and everything he was writing. Mm-hmm. And with Crowley and with Barden, so I did. I I, I uh, there there's I don't think there's anything that Crowley ever wrote that I don't that I don't grasp. And 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 I hope I can say the same thing about Barden. I'm not you know sometimes I, I wonder. Uh, Barden actually, in my opinion, was a lot deeper than Crowley. He is extremely interesting to me as well. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And Barden, of course, is like myself. What I learned from Barden. Yeah, and uh, and and uh, it was the same thing that I could, that I could have learned from Julius Avila, is that that we have to in order in order to make magic work. What Crowley too, in order to make magic work, it has to. Be, it's not just just hypnosis. It's it's also yoga. We have to we have to master yoga. Yes, and and uh, and and yoga is just as much. Uh, we're just as entitled to yoga in the in the West as they are in the East. Mm-hmm. And so that was that's that's what that's what I did to get where I am. Is I I figured I'll do everything. I will learn everything and do everything that Crowley uh, is, uh, came up with, and also with Bart. Although I haven't done any of the nasty things to Crowley. You know, I've, I've tried to stay away from that. <laughs> Crowley Crowley wasn't. The wickedest man in the world, but he 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 was the naughtiest man in the he world. Close. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> he was naughty, <laughs> and I decided I would I would try not to be naughty. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Anyway, that. Uh, yeah, but could one summarize by saying, or would you agree saying, well, once you know things, it's also easier to respect them because you got a knowledge of them. The more you know, the more you know you don't know. Yes, true. And that's the truth. That that really is the the, the the real truth. Is the more you know, the the more you realize you don't know. Absolutely. There's so much. There's so much that I don't know. Yeah. And and another thing that, by the way, that, that another book uh, uh, that that one should, if one really wants to, wants to say you're a magician. Read the Picatrix mm-hmm. and try to understand everything in it. Yeah. Yeah. That yeah. that's yeah. another that's one. Okay. And 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 of course I when I say that I'm I prefer the European version of the Picatrix yeah. because that's you, the one we used back in the in the in the Renaissance. Even though John Michael Greer did also here a very good job yeah. on editing. Yeah, John Michael Greer and and uh, and Christopher Warnock their Picatrix yes. that's the European yeah. version. Absolutely. And I'm yeah. so glad they did it because I had it in manuscript and I and and, and I struggled for it took me a whole day to translate one page yeah, sure. and I'm in so I just said oh I don't have time yeah. for this yeah. and they and, and John John did it and I'm, I'm so glad yeah you know. um, final but, question um, which I try to put forward to all my guests um, there are people who say only solitary work in magic and your cult is the true thing others say only group work is the way to pass on 
how would you answer that question? Is there a truth in either of them? What, what's your stand on that? Well, if you're going to say that only one, only one system is no, the Golden Dawn has you know that 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 that's the Golden Dawn's lot, and people that are that are Golden Dawn fanatics, that's what they think mm -hmm. that everything is uh, like I had a. Uh, the guy that really was my mentor in the Golden Dawn was one of Rigardi's uh, protégés, uh, Dave Kennedy, and I, and I, I gave Dave Kennedy a copy of, of Initiation into Hermetics, mm -hmm. my Barden, and he was so, he was so stuck in the Golden Dawn and also in Crowley that he thought that he he couldn't he couldn't relate to Barden at all. Okay. Now. I, that's that's kind of sad, it is. because there there is even though the Golden Dawn is wrong in a lot of ways they're 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 wrong in a lot of ways, mm -hmm. and and all, but still there's a lot of good stuff in the Golden Dawn and there's a lot of contributions that the Golden Dawn have made, and in fact they were the best synthesis since Agrippa you know yeah. the Agrippa was a great uh, Agrippa and Prothemius that was a great synthesis and and the Golden Dawn followed you know followed along a couple hundred you know, 300 years later and and they and they were a great synthesis but Barden is and you know, and, you know uh, Barden's initiation into hermetics is one of the books that everybody in the hermetic tradition if they haven't read it they should and and I would say if it, to books that they must read uh, and also a, a good translation of the of, of, of the hermetic treatises God, a lot of people, you know, uh, people, people continually saying, "Oh, the Kabbalion, the Kabbalion, uh, that that's so Im that that's that's so important." The Kabbalion is not hermetic; it's new thought. It, it it's 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 but it's good. I mean, uh, there's nothing wrong with the Kabbalion, but it, but it's not hermetic. It's nineteenth and, and, century. And, and, yeah, no, no, it is definitely not, you know late nineteenth century, early twentieth century uh, yeah. new thought, uh, Christian science. Yep. But nothing wrong with it. But the, but the, but that. But but what I'm saying is, uh, stay away from Eliphas Levy, because Eliphas Levy was was wrong in so many ways, uh, and and uh, but uh, people should read Agrippa. Mm -hmm. They should read uh, Initiation into Hermetics by Barden and 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 his second volume too, also, yeah. and uh, and they should they and 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 you know uh, you want to plow through magic and theory and practice fine you know uh, but be aware you're going to run into a lot of stuff that that <laughs> will take you years to figure out but uh, yeah. And uh, and and uh, and the picatrix, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that that that's that that's my my must you know my my recommended list. But yes. there's a little book called The Way of Hermes that is one of the best uh, translations of the of the uh, Hermetic treatises that's come out in a long time. Mm -hmm. It's uh, uh, Inner Traditions publishes it. Um, uh, add that to the list because a lot of people don't realize that a lot of what we do was set forth by by both Hermes Trismegistus uh, and and uh, and is still valid. 
That's why yeah. I call my podcast Thoth Hermes. Well, there's a couple of good books out of Europe on, on the Hermetic tradition. One of them is by a Dutch fellow uh, by the name of uh, Slavenberg or something like that. Mm -hmm. And then there's another one very similar that uh, that just came out recently. So uh, there's The Way of Hermes, and then, well, you know, uh, it's Jacob uh, Slavenberg, The Hermetic Link. Yes, yes. From Secret Tradition to Modern Thought. Yes, I And it's published that. by I nice. Ibis Books. Yeah, that's a nice that's one. A, that's a good yeah, one. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But, as I said, Barden's initiation in hermetics is essential. Hmm. And um, the Picatrix is essential. Yeah. And, uh, and, you know, if you want to find out what the Golden Dawn's all about, you can read Regardi's, uh, yeah, sure. uh, you know, Golden Dawn. Yeah. Anyway, um, so. Poke, uh, this was really, really wonderful time in your presence here. And I'm sure our listeners enjoyed a great deal. And we learned an awful lot, as always, when we listened to you. Well, I hope so. So much for your time. We'll Thanks be in a lot, touch about Brother that. Rudolph, and, Thanks, and, and uh, take care, be well, and good Thanks. magic. Thank you, bye you bye. too. Blessings be. Bye. I do hope you enjoyed this hour in the company of Carol Poke Runyon, or Frater Thabion. In his biography, he describes himself as a neo-romantic and as a gentleman of the old school which he defines as one who recites classical poetry to heartless beauties while wrestling alligators. I can very well see him doing that. The News For the first time in our podcast... I have, unfortunately, to do an obituary here in the news section. Many of you have probably heard of the passing of one of the great figures of the pagan and Wicca movement, Raymond Buckland. This is an important loss for the whole esoteric and occult community, and I think we owe Raymond a few minutes of remembrance and also gratitude here. Raymond Buckland was born in England on August 31, 1934. His father's brother introduced him to spiritualism when he was only 12 years old, and that way created a lifelong interest in all things occult. In 1955, Raymond Buckland met his first wife, Rosemary, and after obtaining a doctorate in anthropology, the couple decided to emigrate to the United States and settled in Long Island, New York. Working at the time for British Airways, then known as BOAC, he did extensive traveling. Shortly after his arrival in the United States, he came across two books which were going to influence him greatly. Margaret A. Murray's The Witch Cult in Western Europe and Gerald Gardner's Witchcraft Today. Now, Buckland had found what he felt was missing in his life and he also started a long-distance friendship with Gerald Gardner. 
1963, he and his wife were initiated in Perth, Scotland, by Gardner's main high priestess, Monique Wilson. Gardner also attended the ceremony, during which Buckland was given his craft name, Robot. Soon after this, Gardner died, but Buckland had become his spokesman in the United States. And as the interest in witchcraft was increasing quickly, he established his own coven in Long Island. He then also opened a museum of witchcraft and magic. He was so successful that he quit the airline and could devote his whole time to teaching, writing and the coven. In 1974, after a separation and divorce from his wife, he remarried and moved to New Hampshire and then Virginia, where he established CX Twica, based on Anglo-Saxon paganism. Buckland, who can be seen as one of the creators of modern witchcraft and paganism, at least in the US, was also a prolific writer, and he published extensively, especially with Weiser books and Levelin. In his book The Tree, he laid out all about his own CX Wicker and its background, but his writings comprise a vast range of subjects from witchcraft and the occult in general. Raymond Buckland had had a failing health since 2015. In late September, he started to have heart and lung problems, and he died in Ohio on September 27. The third piece of music for this episode has been chosen a bit in relation to Raymond Buckland's passing. Dave DeBart, who was our featured musician in the last episode with Oberon Zell, will now interpret an old Scottish song, Twa Corbis, recorded in 2009. Some believe that themes portrayed in this song are the fragility of life and also the idea that life goes on after death.
Corbys, interpreted by Dave DeBart and in remembrance of Raymond Buckland. The regular listeners among you will probably remember the interview I did with Colin Stanley about the late Colin Wilson. We then mentioned also that he had organized a conference on Colin Wilson, his work and his legacy, and that a second issue of that conference was in planning. Now, details about that second international Colin Wilson conference have been published, and I think it sounds exciting. The conference will take place on Friday, July the 6th, 2018, at King's Meadow campus of the University of Nottingham in England. Eight papers on aspects of Colin Wilson's work are going to be presented, and they are by Nicholas Tredell, Gary Lackman, who also participated in that Colin Wilson episode here, David Moore, George C. Poulos, Jason Reza Jorhrani, Vaughan Rapatahana, Brendan McNamee, and Jonathan Lucy. And as a very special treat, there will be a further event on the following day, Saturday 7th of July, featuring a showing of the operetta The Man with a Thousand Faces by Donald Swan and Colin Wilson. This is a real rarity, I can tell you, and the whole event will be a must for Colin Wilson fans. I know that Todd Hermes has quite a big audience in the United Kingdom, and also by the numbers of downloads of the episode on Colin Wilson, I would imagine that there might be quite a good number of people listening here who would be interested and might turn up. For further details on this conference, please go to our website www.thoughthermes.com and to the news section where you will find a link to the website for this conference. Well, that has been episode number 11 of the Thoth Hermes podcast. Thanks once again for your patience in waiting for this to be issued. It was a great pleasure for me to be back and to know that the next few months will be a bit calmer professionally for me and I will have time and be able to stick to my schedule. Our next episode, which will be number 12, has also a very special and dear featured guest. She is the Grand Lady of British Esoteric Practitioners and current leader of the Servants of the Light, Dolores Ashcroft Novitsky. Don't miss that one. The episode will be released on October 19 in two weeks from now. And as I have already said in the intro, you should also come and listen to a few announcements about some changes and improvements in our show, which I hope you will be as excited about as I am preparing them. In the meantime, I wish you all a very nice time 
a lot of inspiration and deep experiences. Thanks for having been with us today. Wendy Rule is back and starting her outro song for us. So this is the moment to give you my farewell greetings. Looking forward to welcoming you back next time. Take care, stay tuned, hear you soon.
yourself.